Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Forrest. And this is The Crosscut, the podcast that contextualizes the news of the week with the story, themes, and motifs of a treasured... Or gasoline. A piece of cinema. Oh, yeah, that is what they call it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Which is, I'm like, they, they, you, did you have to change the name of gasoline? Because it's still called Gas Town where they're going. Goes down. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's right. We are talking... I, I mean, clearly, we, we said it in the pre-show, a treasured piece of cinema, <laughs> just a just a absolute gem that we're talking about today. And uh, we'll we'll get to it. But uh, I, I I love the movie. I have stories to tell about when we saw it. Sure, it's a whole thing. So yeah, this is I'm a good, excited. Good episode. I'm excited to hear these stories. I, I my, you don't remember it all? Yeah. Not really. Was were, was Ian with us? Yes. Okay. Were we in Manhattan? Yep. At the, like, the village? Lower East Side, yep. AMC? Uh, I want to say Regal, but I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I'm, like, vaguely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. The the thing that was the, the best part of the experience, mm. walking out of the film, which we all loved seeing. Yeah. Um, was we walked out, and, uh, like, as we left the theater, we were surrounded by people in like all black with like piercings and like strange hair and like tattoos. Like it literally looked like we walked into the set of the movie, um, although not in the desert, but in Manhattan. And apparently there was just like a metal like festival going on (laughs) around there. And I was like, this is awesome. (laughs) This is absolutely amazing. So very very, uh, spot on for us. Yeah. Well, there's a, isn't there a music venue that was like right there? There was a Mercury Lounge. I think maybe I'm wrong about which one, but, uh, but I thought so. Yeah. I don't know if it's the Mercury lounge, but it, 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 I think it's closed now. I don't know. It almost certainly is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't recall that specifically. I have a terrible memory. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember it cause I was like, this is great. Should we get some cars and drive really fast? <laughs> this would be great. <laughs> but I remember, uh, liking the film very much. Yeah. And you said that you hadn't really seen it uh, since since we saw it in theaters. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we'll talk about how your second impression was in a little bit. Uh, I should probably introduce the film, even though it's in the title of the episode. Uh, this week, we watched Mad Max Fury Road. For That's those right. of you who didn't listen to the pre-show and are not big on reading titles. Um, but yeah, the the film that came out in 2016. Uh, yeah. 2015. Excuse me. Um, was nominated for the 2016 Oscars. That's why I got that confused. But uh, yeah, it, it, a fantastic film uh, by George Miller, the architect of the original Mad Max trilogy from way back when, starring uh, He Who Shall Not Be Named. Um, and yeah. It, it, uh, just what? A, Who's, who shall not be named? You don't know who was in the original Mad Max films? Oh, sorry. The original. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. There are a lot of people who should not be named, but this guy, I don't want to get into it. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have so much time in this episode. Don't want to get into it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this film stars, uh, Charlize Theron, Tom Hardy, uh, a bunch of other folks. We'll get into it. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm excited to talk about the movie, but we should probably start with the news. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. All right, let's go. There is a rising epidemic threatening the lives of Americans today, and it's not the COVID-19 virus. 
the United States has experienced a dramatic increase in dangerous driving habits and road conditions that have led to a spike in vehicle-related deaths, especially in the wake of the pandemic lockdown of 2020. I thought you were going to say, it's not COVID-19. It's COVID-24. <laughs> we're doing it again. <laughs> it's the sequel, right? Yeah. You got to get a, as much use out of that IP as you can. That's right. Yeah. I think the, the idea for this movie was based off of this fact that since the pandemic, uh, death rates have gone up on the roads. Right. Uh, but one of the weird charts that I saw somewhere was like, even before the pandemic, Things like pedestrian deaths were going up on the road. It's very, like, very wild um, that we're just deciding to, like, lose our minds when it comes to driving cars nowadays. Yeah, I mean, it, what's interesting is that we uh, vehicles themselves have never been safer. Sure, if you're in the vehicle. If you're in the vehicle, okay. right? Like, if you are in the vehicle, the the odds of you surviving a crash are... Uh, basically um, from, hold on, let me back this up in, in terms of the, the statistic, because I don't know what the odds are. Okay, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, can't do, I can't do that math, yeah, but yeah, sure. basically um, they're a fifth of what they would have been like in the 1960s. So the odds of dying are a fifth. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, so, so basically um, in 1965, there were about five deaths for every 100 million miles traveled. Okay. According to the Traffic Safety Agency. Yep. In 2014, uh, the most recent year available from an article that I got from like 10 years ago, mm -hmm. um, the there was one death for every 100 million miles traveled. Oh, wow. Okay. That's so pretty it, incredible. It decreased yeah. from five to one. Yeah per 100 million miles travel of like odds of, you know. Yeah. Can I recommend just as a public service announcement on this podcast? Yeah. Don't drive 100 million miles. Don't do it. Because if you do. <laughs> Almost uh, certainly. The odds are not in your favor. You, you, yeah, you will probably <laughs> die. Um, yeah. Uh, that's the prize you get. No. <laughs> At the end. It's not <laughs> twisted metal, sweetheart. <laughs> it's not a, it's not like a green place that you can just go to. That's, hey, there you go. Mm. Speaking of Twist Metal, they made a TV show out of that. I wonder if we should have done that for this podcast. I don't know what that is. Okay, don't worry. Then, then the answer is no. And in fact, that movie, that TV show should have been ignored anyway, so. But uh, there was there was a peak of, of roadway deaths um, in 1972. Okay. And it has basically been on the decline and all the way until about 2011 was when, when it like really bottomed out. Um, and in 2011, they, I think three, 32,000 Americans roughly died in car wrecks that year. Okay. Um, Still which a lot. feels like a lot, yeah. but out of, but comparatively a hundred million, 200 million people. Right. Oh uh, yeah. Well, you're talking about people in the United States. Yeah. Like 300 million, yeah. 300 million people yeah. out of 300 million people, 32.4 thousand, 32 and a yeah. half thousand died in a car crash. Yeah, which would put it, I mean, I don't know about the statistics from that year, but I think current statistics for gun deaths are about 40,000 a year. So yeah. that would put it below the modern uh, gun death, expect, expected death rate. Right, Yeah. And so that was the, that, and that was the lowest count in 2011. It was the lowest count in more than six decades. Wow. Okay. So we, we did it. 
in 2011. And, and tw- <laughs> I mean, if you watch, if you look at a chart, basically of the the deaths um, yes. from cars. I mean, it just slowly, just like ticks down pretty much every year, starting in, in 1972. Okay. Would you like to know what happened around 1972? Did we do airbags? Or was it even before seat, that, seatbelt laws? Even before that. Even before seatbelt laws. Uh, crumple zones? Even before that. The uh, thing that, 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 that sort of kicked it all off. Uh, uh, we got everyone a bus pass. I have no idea. <laughs> Even better, a book. Okay. Written by Ralph Him? Ralph Nader. Oh, okay. Hey, <laughs> right, Ralph Nader. I mean, it, look, we got a lot of pluses and minuses in your columns, buddy. But I'll take this as a plus. <laughs> so I I didn't know this about Ralph Nader, no. but so the, backing up even more, if you look at the history of vehicles in America, I thought you were going to say the history of Ralph Nader. <laughs> no, sorry, vehicles in America. Yes, there have been three spikes of just like way too many people dying, like nineteen twenties. Yep, that's right. Why would you say that? Uh, because nobody knew what the fuck they were doing and there were no <laughs> stop signs or street lights or people were trying to drive around horses and shit. Like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly correct. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then I would say probably like what the 19, well, I mean, obviously 1972 you mentioned. Well, that was when it was, that was when it peaked, but yeah, Yeah. the mid middle of the century, mid century. So 55 to 72, something like that. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, like one example is around the 1950s, you obviously had this like huge increase in violence on roadways and you had a huge increase in just like people having road rage. And I showed you that goofy, that, that, um, Walt Disney goofy, uh, short last night about like the Mr. Wheeler and Mr. Walk. And yeah, um, that came out in the 1950s. That's really funny that there was like it was it was funny to see like, oh, the problems of road rage existed back then. The problems of bad driving existed back then. We haven't as a society solved it in any way because it's just human nature. Right. Right. And and I think that also what you ended up having is um, all of a sudden you had freeways in the middle of the century. Yeah, sure. Right. Um, I think Roger Rabbit is another movie that that talked about freeways. And- yes, it did. So Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the, the actual plot of that film is about Los Angeles, which at the time, real story, true, true mm-hmm. event, at the time had one of the best public transit systems in the nation. Yeah. And they tore it down. They ripped it apart so they could build highways uh, so that developers could make their money from, from building uh, roadways and maintaining those roadways ad infinitum uh and at the expense of public transit i just hear chris elliott uh, in my head going a freeway sure yes um i, I mean we'll get into a lot of me complaining about <laughs> infrastructure in a little bit but here let's go back uh, we'll slow play it yeah, yeah so so anyway so it's middle of the century we all yeah. of a sudden are we have freeway systems that are crisscrossing america we also have the introduction of these new vehicles like the ford mustang um, where vroom, vroom. they yeah. are just, they're muscle cars, right? Yeah. And they're, they're powerful, they're heavy, um, and they are not safe. And they're made out of steel. Yeah. They're made, <laughs> they're made out of steel that will kill you yes. and everybody around you yeah. if anything goes wrong. And like, they randomly just explode. Depend, not the Mustang. Not uh, the Mustang. Please don't sue us Ford. But not like the, the Mustang, but like the, ca- the generally or, cars yeah. of that era, yeah. some of them could just randomly explode. Yeah. 
Um, and, and, and it, you know, it was, it was an issue. And, and AMC so Pacer, yeah. Ralph Nader released a book, wrote a book, a best-selling book called unsafe at any speed. I've heard of this book. Mm-hmm. I would never read it, but it's an interesting historical fact. Yeah. Yeah. And so basically the argument Didn't was- Didn't know that was Nader though, but yeah. yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Nader um, at the Nadir <laughs> God. of American uh, Driving right, and right. <laughs> So sorry. <laughs> Just sitting on that one for a while. All right. Nope. Right off the dome. <laughs> oh, is that better or worse? <laughs> <laughs> better. Okay. Better. Right. Obviously. Um, yeah. So anyways, um, he argued that there is, quote, a gap between existing design and attainable safety and that the auto industry was ignoring, quote, a moral imperative to make people safer. Okay. So the entire book is just basically focusing on safety issues, talking about neglect from the auto industry, talking about how there's anything from brake performance or drivers being uh, impaled by the steering columns by sitting behind or driving behind a big 18 wheeler that's pulling a bunch of trees nope and one of them comes off and just right through you different movie okay different movie but i i think that there's like the steering call the the steering columns basically um would just like like impale drivers there were no um airbags there right they didn't drop and then like nothing happened right it just just you just became part of the car (laughs) <laughs> at that point uh that we could have done cronenberg for this yeah. sure uh and so he he wrote for instance the first chapter was about the chevy corvair okay uh, and, i do know the corvair yeah, it's, yeah. yeah and his argument was that it had rear suspension defects that made it easy for the driver to lose control and for the car to roll over okay oh sounds familiar uh my mom had a 1996 Ford Explorer that was yeah. like recalled several times because it was a rollover uh, concern. I recall, you know, I mean, SUVs came out really, really big when we were in high school. Yes. And they would just roll over and mm-hmm. kids loved. I mean, it was like so all the rich kids had SUVs and mm. like there were several kids who's like had gotten into really bad car accidents yeah. in my high school. We had the we had the, the cheapest Ford Explorer, the little two door uh, edition. But like the seats folded down flat and we, I mean, one time my mom and I drove nine of my friends or me and eight of my friends to Atlanta for a concert mm-hmm. with the seats folded down and everybody just kind of like hanging out in the back. No seat belts, no nothing. Yep. Like if that, oof. I had a Jeep Cherokee that I drove. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It wasn't mine. It was my dad's, but uh, definite, it was a little four-door uh, not a grand Cherokee. Oh, uh, uh, the grand Cherokees were, were awesome. A less than grand Cherokee. <laughs> it was a fine Cherokee. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was fantastic, but it wasn't one of like the super tall ones that rolled sure. over. Uh, but basically he wrote this book. And then in February of 1966, he was asked by Senator Abraham A. Ribikoff, okay. um, a Democrat of Connecticut, to testify before a Senate subcommittee on automotive safety. Okay. And... After that, in September of uh, 66, about 10 months after the book was published, Lyndon B. Johnson signed into law the National Traffic and Motor Vehicle Safety Act, and it it required the adoption of new or upgraded safety standards, and it, it basically created um, a task force as su- to supervise safety recalls, um, and it put into place, you know, stringent federal auto mm-hmm. safety standards. Yeah, that that's uh, awesome 
I, it's so interesting. So I recommend anyone who has not done so or, or hasn't like gone back into history, like just go learn a little bit about LBJ because the dude is an interesting dichotomy of characters. Like mm. he is, he's the guy who got um, the the Civil Rights Act passed in 64. He's the guy who got the Voting Rights Act passed in 65. Yeah. Obviously working on automotive safety. He was working on the war against poverty. Uh, but he was also like a, a Southern Democrat who was like, you know, like straddling the line between the, the remnants, the last remnants of the Dixiecrats to get some stuff mm-hmm. passed before the Civil Rights Act. And uh, was like a, a bully. Uh, like would, would absolutely like use his size and power to just like push people around like fig- like not figuratively like literally literal bully yeah. pulpit yeah and and uh and and he was in- it was an interesting thing because he was elected could have run again for his second term um he, he took over after kennedy was assassinated ran for office and won and then um did chose not to run again because he was being just hammered to hell by fellow democrats about his position on the vietnam war Mm. and was his position that it was bad and we shouldn't have been there no his position was like keep keep on keeping on like send, send troops and fight and whatever all right and so that position was bad there is no uh denying that fact right yeah. uh however the there were uh some major democrats who were uh campaigning against him in the primary one of whom was robert kennedy mm. um whom i also love and who obviously didn't get uh, elected to the presidency because he was murdered. Mm. Uh, but the like what LBJ was doing in Vietnam at the time mm-hmm. paled in comparison <laughs> to what his eventual successor, Richard Milhouse Nixon, would go on to do. So it's like, yes, we don't like LBJ as, as on the left because there is a war in another country that he is supporting and we do not like his support of that war. However, all of the things he's doing for the people here in America have been incredibly powerful and successful. Mm -hmm. So maybe what we shouldn't do is turn our back on this person for one reason when the other 90% of the reasons we would vote for someone are there um, and then allow the worst people in the world to elect the worst person in the world at the time, Richard Nixon. I'm not saying that has any analogy to our current situation. I'm not saying that. You're not alluding to anything at all, possibly. not saying anything at all about that. I'm just saying maybe fucking read a history book. (laughs) Fuck! (laughs) Sorry, Indiana. Sorry. Our dog just lost her mind. She says, what is happening? All right. She says... I'm good. I'm good. You... I'm the opposite of a of a support animal. <laughs> I mean, I'll support your rage. <laughs> I'm an anxiety animal. Yeah. Do you have more you. anxiety? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So <laughs> what this ended up doing is we had obviously now huge changes in safety standards. You had people that were able to hold vehicle manufacturers actually to account. And so you got a whole host of new uh, innovations and implementations of safety measures that are kind of what you were sort of listing off before we got into all of this, right? It's like there's no one single thing that caused the the death rate to drop um, by 80%, right? right? It, was, it was all of the things together, right? So we had 
the the strength of a car's roof or its doors or the integrity of its its ignition and fuel systems. We had seatbelt laws that came after this, as well as the introduction of airbags and technologies that um, you know, like anti-lock brakes, electronic stability control. Mm-hmm. Um, more recently, we have things like rear view cameras and automatic braking. Yeah. Um, and ways to essentially eliminate the uh, the 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 blind spot while mm-hmm. driving, yeah. right? And so all of these things combined have led to huge decreases in deaths from cars. Yeah, which which just like kills me anytime somebody's like, oh well the gunman could have just gotten a, a gun with the the laws that we have, and it's like, right. yeah, there's not one law, man. It's yeah. like all of the laws will will fix the problem because it's yeah. a complex problem. Yeah, many and several laws will, right. will help to solve the problems little by little. And guess what happens when you solve little problems after little problems? You solve the big problem. Right. You, you do the work. The we So <laughs> we, we bought a car this past year, yeah. the last six months, and it's... Automatic braking is safer than I am. Yeah. Like, I'm just, I just, I will drive and I'm like, I'm about to hit the brake. And the car, like, literally just a millisecond before I do it is like, no, hang on now, buddy. Let me hit that brake for you. And I'm like, I'm cool. I'm cool. And they're just like, nah. The car is like, are you? Hold your horses. Yeah. There's a car in front of you that is not moving. You are not getting anywhere Anywhere fucking close Any, to that anywhere car. Anywhere close, yeah. Uh, <laughs> your wife is so calm <laughs> in the passenger seat. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of wild. And, and, and so all the way until 2011, it was, it was dropping. And so now the third apex that you're talking about is right now is where we are now. Shit. (laughs) Oh, we live in the worst times. Okay. So, you know what? Let's, I think this is a good time for us to get into the movie. Okay. Well, we're in the worst times. They're in the worst times. Is it perhaps the case that the roads are more dangerous because they are full of fury. Yes. Are they fury roads? They actually, that is a big, big part of it. Yes. Okay. So as I mentioned, this film (laughs) uh, came out in uh, May of 2015, May 15th to be precise. It was directed by George Miller, the director of the, every other film in the Mad Max franchise. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, also the director of, Babe, Pig in the City, and both of the Happy Feet movies, which yeah, I guess he needed a little bit of cash. So he's like, sure. Did kids. he need cash? Or, like, what if he's just a delightful person who loves dancing penguins? He does actually seem like a really delightful person. And talking he seems, pigs. He seems lovely. Yeah. And so no no shade. Get your, get your money. Um, <laughs> the, the thing that I thought was funny is the film has three credited writers, uh, Miller and two others, Brendan McCarthy and Nick Lathoris. Um, but the film did not have what you would call a formal script. In, instead, the film was almost written by storyboard. Um, and so for those who don't know what a storyboard is, you're basically creating what would what would appear to be a graphic novel or a comic book of just mm-hmm. a series of single images that move along through the process, the, the progress of the film. And, and most people do storyboards, but they'll write a script and then they'll say like, and here's what I want the scene to look like. They'll storyboard it out. He just started with storyboards. Like, here's the images I have in my head that I want to put on screen. They ended up storyboarding over 3,500 frames, uh, images for this film. 
who who actually makes the storyboards? Like he doesn't he he tells an artist and the artist captures his vision. I think or... he draws some of them. Yeah, this guy uh, Brendan McCarthy did a lot of them. He was a storyboard artist and was hired and brought in for that purpose. Okay, uh, I'm sure that the Nick Lathoris guy did it as well. Um, there there are a ton of behind the scenes documentaries about this movie on YouTube. I recommend like everybody just watch them. They're really entertaining, especially the ones about the stunts and all that stuff. Um, but like, yeah, it, it's just like, that's what his writers did. It's, they were not traditional screenplay writers. They were storyboard artists. Okay. And that, uh, Brendan McCarthy has an interesting quote in one in the thing that I watched where he was like, yeah, you know, storyboarding can be fine, but it's really difficult when, you know, you get almost to the end of the movie and you decide that one of the characters needs to have a prosthetic arm and you have to go back and redraw all of the storyboards. <laughs> Why do they have to redraw the storyboards? What does that have, what does that have to do with anything? I, I don't know, but it's it was, not an animated film. Uh, true, but you know, you want to you want to get it right. You want to you want to have it. You want to hand those storyboards off to people in production departments and be able to say like, "Here's what I want to see." And so you need to have those there. My goodness. Yeah. So uh, the other thing that that I'll mention is the uh, director of photography. This guy uh, John Seal. He actually came out of retirement to head up the cinematography for the film. Um, He then went on to do uh, George Miller's next film, which I think I mentioned in the pre-show, 3,000 Years of Longing with Mm -hmm. Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton. Um, But, I mean, the cinematography in this film is... is Gorgeous. Insane. Yeah, it's it's both um, incredible and gorgeous, the way that things are composed and, and shot, and also just looking at how much work they had to do. Like, they had... Like almost every camera that was shooting was remote because the entire film almost is moving like in actual vehicles. Right. Like they're like the thing that I, I can't stress enough. And I, I could talk about this for like 47 days, but I just want to make sure that this is clear. They are doing all of this stuff practically. Right. So not only like if you're seeing cars moving, the cars are moving. If you're seeing a car crash, a real car did that crash. Yeah. If you're seeing like a car flip over, if you're seeing fire, if you're seeing people on poles flying around and like getting from one car to another, all actually happened in real life. Did uh did did Zoe Kravitz actually get pulled off of a car by a person on a pole and then pulled on or was that a stunt person? Cuz it looked like her. The uh so yes, the the person on the pole yeah. uh, was a Cirque du Soleil performer. Yeah, but the I don't know if it was Zoe Kravitz or if it was the other uh, wife, but she got yes, it was really her. Okay, yeah. I think it was Zoe Kravitz. Okay, uh, as did Tom Hardy. Oh, okay. So I don't know if you remember. There's the big explosion in the background, and like Tom Hardy's like on the pole, and he just goes like whoop mm-hmm. across. Like that was really him. All right. Yeah. Uh, he he said he was not excited about doing that <laughs> about that stunt. Huh? Yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, it sounds uh, sounds scary, dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's fair. Yeah. It's it's uh, so so. All I'm getting at is all of this stuff was really happening, which means that as the cinematographer, it's not like oh, let's just put a camera over here and we'll shoot that way. We'll frame these people up like this. Like you're at the forefront of technological innovation with remote cameras. They used 
I think four different RE flexes. They used a Phantom, which shoots at like 300 frames per second for, for super slow motion. Mm-hmm. They used um, like head mounted black magic cameras. So if you had like had a person with a camera on them and they were driving somewhere, you could see what they were seeing. Like you could cut in that footage. Mm-hmm. So it really incredible the amount of footage they had, the amount of stuff they had to shoot. And being a cinematographer sounds just like absolutely insane for that kind of project. Um, and the other thing that I'll, I'll mention is if you watch the movie, if anyone listening watches the movie or if we watch it again, uh, if there is a scene where there is an actor, pr- a principal actor, you know, Tom Hardy, Charlie's Throne, um, their head is almost always in the center of the frame. Mm-hmm. You're not framing them with like space in front or behind or above or below. And the reason for that is because he's like, we're cutting so fast. I want the audience to always know where to look. This is what George Miller said. He says, the audience should always know to look right in the middle of the screen and they're going to see the actor they're right. they're waiting for or the action or whatever it is. Um, and I think that's like a, a bit of a stroke of genius mm-hmm. because he's like, if you have to find the character, it's gone before you can process it. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, fr- there's so much going on in every single scene. It, like if you, you, you literally do need to, to handhold that, Im- that kind of information because, right. because, uh, because you could just, this is one of those films that's, I mean, it's kind of like, um, fight club, I think in this way where you could probably watch it. 10 times and see something new every single time. Absolutely. Very much so. And I think that the, (laughs) I didn't write it down, but basically there were something like 22 cuts per minute in the film. Okay. So it's like, you're basically seeing like two and a half seconds on average before there's a cut. It's just so fast. Right. It's it's wild. And uh, this is the last little bit of the, like the insanity of, of the production element, uh, the editor, Margaret Sixel, who is actually George Miller's wife, mm-hmm. um, and won an Academy Award for this film. So yeah. big ups to her. Had to re- edit roughly 470 hours of footage. It took three months yeah. just to watch all of the footage. Holy crap. Without editing anything. Like this, it's it was a Herculean, Heraclean <laughs> undertaking. So... Shout out to the people who put this together. Like I, I'm literally in awe that this movie exists. It's wild. It's 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 interesting watching this with you because you're both in awe throughout the whole thing uh, of the film, and and like you clearly appreciate it. But then you are also a lot of times enraged watching this film mm. um, at Marvel. And yeah, Disney. Like, you so, were so like, you were so angry. <laughs> I'm just so mad because like they went to like fucking Namibia, and oh my god, oh god, baby, oh no, you got me down the rabbit hole. Okay, <laughs> so here's what they did: they made 150 unique cars that actually drove mm-hmm. and put them on the fucking desert mm-hmm. and drove through dust and sand and and just grime. For seven months. Mm-hmm. And the cars were so insane. They had to they had to spend $2 million on a freighter to get the cars to Namibia. And not only that, some of the vehicles, the war rigs specifically, were so immense. There were not containers that they could put them in to carry them to Namibia. So the freight company had to design brand new carrying containers for the war rigs. 
what? Who does this? It's insane. It's maniacal. And it's absolutely necessary for this movie to work. Right. It's, I mean, like, and that's the thing I hate about Marvel. It's like, oh, we're going to put uh, whomever. We're going to put uh, uh, Paul Rudd in a purple goo for two hours, but he's just in Atlanta. Right. And we're just going to underpay visual effects staff and people will go see it because pfft, whatever. It's like, oh, you really Marvel? Because that has, or in, in Disney, it turns out that hasn't paid off for the last year. I think that it. this is the clear difference between when film is art versus when it's just a commodity. Just commerce. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's, and it's, it's literally just how much can you squeeze out of this, out, out of this, like yeah. before you, so that you can like make back whatever's on your bottom line. And like, it's, it's this, but it's this like diminishing returns, right? Because every time they do it, it gets hard. It gets worse and worse. The yeah. quality goes, has just significantly gone down. I think over the past two or three years. Absolutely. And and it's just become such a production system where it's like, oh, we've scheduled out when the films are going to release several years in advance. Right. And so we have to do it. And, you know, we got to just, you know, make it look awful. <laughs> right. And and I think that it's just, it's, it's a shame because I love comics. I yeah. love the stories. I love Marvel. And it just feels like, um, all of the joy has just kind of slowly gone away from it. Right. It, it been 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 sucked out of it when you look at it relative to a film mm-hmm. like like this, where you can tell with every single scene, you can tell that it was created as a passion project, right? Yeah. Like the you don't bring you don't create new freighters in order to bring giant, you know, welded brand new like invented cars halfway across the world like you don't do that because of a bottom line you do that because you have passion and this is an art for you yeah a hundred percent um i will so just to give you some context on the cgi and lack of cgi so they say about 80 percent of the effects seen in the film are practical okay uh that includes the stunts the makeup and all the sets they say cgi was used sparingly um mainly to enhance the landscape uh, the big one is to remove stunt rigging. So like yeah. people were on wires and all that stuff for for a lot of the movie. Um, remove that out. And then also, obviously, Shirley's, uh, her her left arm was prosthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they that was all CG. Um, but I, I think that sort of undersells it to say 80% of the film is, uh, is practical because it's not, all, it's like, it's also not that. Um, what I what I think is important to realize is the difference between uh, computer generated imagery imagery and then color correction, right? Because like you can shoot something in um, in in camera, but then take it into Avid or, or you know uh, uh, anywhere uh, Premiere, whomever your your DaVinci Resolve, whatever it is, and you can just adjust all the colors to make it look kind of however you want. So for instance. All of the night scenes were filmed in bright daylight, so like and they night were for day. yeah, and or they were also night. day for night. Yeah, they were also overexposed, so it was like super bright. Like everything in camera looked really, really bright and washed out. And then they manipulated the color, so all that really bright stuff looked like more darker blue. They said the brighter the white, the darker the blue. And mm-hmm. so that's how it looks night and looks really cool and looks really like interesting. 
but they didn't have to shoot at night because they're not getting a bunch of lights out there to, to light all that stuff up, you know? Right. Right. And, and I mean, I, I almost wish that it were a different way of, of seeing the statistic because it's like, okay, maybe if you want to say, if you want to undersell what you're saying and say that 80% of this was practical and like 20% was CG or whatever, yeah. that's fine. Um, what percent of it was on a soundstage? None, zero. Right. Yeah. And and like that's maybe more important right. as like a st- statistic, right? Yeah. Is and like how how many of these characters were covered in little ping pong balls? Zero. How many of them were talking to a, a tennis ball attached to a broom? Yeah, zero. Yeah. Yeah. And so what what they say is like uh, CGI was used to create the Citadel, which mm-hmm. is where all, like all the water pours down um, at the, mm-hmm. the beginning and the end. Um, it was used to create the sandstorm, which is the first big set piece that they drive through. Right. Um, it duplicated actors for some of the crowd scenes. Yeah. Um, and it would change background scenery, enhance explosions, alter the sand and sky, which is a big part of the visual design of the film, which is like um, all the sand should be super red. All the explosions should be really big, like like um, intense reds and oranges. Mm-hmm. The sky should be incredibly blue. So it enhanced all of those things. But like, if you look at the uh, actual footage before it was color corrected and stuff, mm-hmm. the sky was pretty blue and the the, 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 the ground was pretty <laughs> you know, dusty. Like they, they were making it ultra versions of what it was, you know? Right. And I, I mean, I think that that's, we have developed technology that is very good at enhancing what exists. Yeah. We have still not cracked technology that's going to make something feel gritty yeah. from scratch yeah, that's and it's right. going to make something feel like it's been created you know, or that it not that it's um, organic as opposed to having been like created in a computer. Yeah. And I think I said this um, uh, to, to some degree already, but the, um, the cinematographer, John seal said that nearly every shot was computer manipulated in post, right. but not computer generated. And so right. the point being, you know, adjust everything but don't add unnecessarily, right? You're not going to be able to actually find a giant sandstorm that you can film in. <laughs> right. Uh, but so, so add that. But like the, the actual chase scenes and stuff with cars crashing, well, we know how to crash cars. Like we've done that for a hundred years in Hollywood. Right. And so we're going to do that. And in fact, one guy, I think set a record for the number of times he flipped a car um, in this movie. So, <laughs> you know, good for him. <laughs> Good for him. I mean, it's it's not surprising that records were set during this the filming of this movie. Yep, yep. The um the initial film was originally going to be done in Australia because everybody here is from Australia. Uh, everybody in the production um is from Australia. It was going to be done in 2011, uh, but there was a massive amount of like heavy rainfall um that actually turned a desert into a, a like a meadow of lush uh flowers <laughs> and yeah. so they were like well we can't do that that's a different <laughs> this is a different movie so go to namibia um and then it still took another you know five years to get it made um and even before that they were planning on making it in like 2003 with uh mel gibson as the the lead role so mm-hmm. glad that didn't work out right um and yeah i i, I think that's sort of all I have on the production that I, I wanted to mention because I think it's so incredible and I, and um, it's just the way that it was done, man. It's it's like, it's like a, a unicorn. It's completely insane that this movie ever got made. Um, and just to, to bring us back to the news story, 
I do have one element of uh, our, like sort of fun facts. Okay. Um, there were 150 cars made for the film, as I mentioned. Um, only 15 survived. <laughs> 10% made it back. <laughs> so uh, if that'll give us some, lead us into some statistics, maybe. <laughs> sure. Well, speaking of vehicles and statistics, um, I, I, I would guess that those vehicles were also all pretty, pretty large and, and pretty heavy. Yes. Um, I mean, especially if they needed their own freighter, right? The war machine. I mean, the war machine was incredibly uh, heavy, large, and by the end of the movie, filled with explosives. <laughs> well, similarly, our roadways are filled with heavy, large uh, killing machines as well. Uh, are they called pickup trucks? Uh, certainly. Also, <laughs> I mean, also SUVs. Uh, yeah, sure. So, but but like, not only are they pickup trucks, but they are just bigger now like yeah. we've always had pickup trucks that's true right but the since the 90s the average weight of a pickup truck has increased by 1300 pounds that's like half a car not a near a pickup truck well no but i'm saying like it's like a, a car it was always like wow a car is like a ton right a ton is 2000 pounds so you add 1300 pounds to a car you're adding half a car to a car yeah like that's yeah I mean, a mid-century sedan okay. was about 3,000, okay. you know, 3,500. 3, and, and, and I know this because now the average full-size SUV, SUV weighs about 5,000 pounds, <laughs> which is at least 1,000 pounds more than, than that mid-century sedan. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's uh, as bad. It's bad. Yeah. Um, and unnecessary. It, it's It's... Purely for aesthetics, mm-hmm. right? Like you don't, and this is the thing that like bugs me about living in our area, mm-hmm. which is you have a lot of people who do work on construction sites or whatever, and maybe like do need those vehicles. But you have a lot of people who just have big trucks for the sake of their little egos. Yes. And you were and, trying and, to determine if you should go another direction or if you should say egos, but good, good call. Good yeah. Call. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm talking uh-huh, about. Yeah. They're compensating yeah. for, yeah, oh, he, small personality. He, he pulling out a Shrek line. You think he's compensating for something? What is that? It's from Shrek. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. So, but so not only are cars bigger and heavier, but they are also faster. Uh, yeah, sure. Right. So the more horsepower, more torque. 1967, the Chevy Corvette Stingray went from zero to 60 in 4.7 seconds. Yeah. And in 2020. That's fast. Yeah. Yeah. The the, the 2023 Tesla Model S Plaid has drag strip mode. Okay. And it can go from zero to 60 in 1.99 seconds. That's too fast. It's too fast, man. It's too fast. Yeah. Yeah. It's. It's, it's too damn fast. And also, I would want to just check those numbers because I don't trust any numbers that come out of Tesla. No, but. I don't. I mean, this was an article that was, and I've linked to it in the show notes. This was an article that was in the New York Times, and then it linked to another article from their thing that's, um, I, I I forget what the. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I, I, I also don't trust anything. Jalopnik. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So this was an article from jalopnik.com. So the like Tesla just released a video of like the Cybertruck beating the Porsche 911. It's like, no, absolutely not. In no way. 
absolutely impossible. But I mean, so speaking of the Cybertruck, though, like that's a perfect example of a, a vehicle that is literally just a killing machine, yeah. right? For <laughs> everybody involved. Well, I guess if you're in the Cybertruck, you're probably fine, but you will literally well, just murder every single person that you run into. Yeah. And not only that, like there was a video that was on, I think maybe Twitter or um threads or whatever where they just took a carrot yeah and they closed the hood with the carrot like next to it and it just snapped the carrot right in half and yeah. they were just like hey guess what there's no safety measures on this vehicle there's oh, nothing right. that's indicating like something's in the way maybe we should not close the or most mechanical hood on your finger yeah most of like hoods that close have little actuators so it'll close it kind of slowly yeah yeah nothing Cool. Nothing. But the other what, thing real quick about yeah. the Cybertruck is I saw a video of it uh, doing in like a 35 mile an hour speed te- uh, like a speed crash. Yeah. Um, and the rear axle popped off because there are no crumple zones. So yeah. all when it, when it hit the wall, it didn't bend. It just transferred all of the, in, the force from that impact to the rear of the car, which like sounds bad because the car fall, falls apart. But like the real bad thing is like if you're a, driver of that car or in the car as a person all of that force goes to your spine yeah seems bad it's it it, um, it's just (sighs) (laughs) it's just a bad vehicle and it truly is the homer simpson episode the episode of homer simpson where his his my brother's keeper or whatever right where he meets his like half brother and goes and invents that car car absolute fucking buffoon yeah i got access to all the money in the world and designed the most terrible car. Um, in addition to what you're talking about with the Cybertruck, this is like, if, have you seen it, the design there? Have you seen any of the diagrams that sort of mock up what the visibility is from the driver's yeah, seat? Like yeah. you can't see anything. Can't you couldn't see, see a full grown person standing in front of the car. Yeah. And so, but that's not just with, that that vehicle we what i guess there's research that's going to be coming out or that has been coming out that basically shows that or is is probably going to show because it's not definitive that the bigger the vehicle the less visibility you have and the more destruction you end up causing with that large vehicle so there was a report from uh in november that was published from the institute the insurance institute for highway safety which is a nonprofit that concluded that suvs or vans with hoods heights greater than 40 inches um which is standard in america and in like in u.s trucks uh, mm-hmm. in 2023 they are 45 percent more likely to kill pedestrians than smaller cars okay yeah that, that checks <laughs> that would make sense right and so you just you've got all of these cars with all of these absolutely i mean just uh, they have gotten more dangerous for yeah for everybody else on the road yeah. around them. Well, it's funny because like we have a minivan. Yeah. And the minivan does not like as part of its design does not have any sightline issues, especially in front of you, because at where you're sitting, the engine slopes down like the, the, the hood slopes down. Right. Right. But like if you look at a lot of the larger pickup trucks, it's like they want to like they couldn't slope down because they want to look big and right. tough and I'm a Trump man, man. And so it goes straight out, which immediately cuts off your line of sight down towards the road. And so it's like, if you have a, a child who's three feet tall, standing four feet in front of your vehicle, you will not know that that child is there just because of the way your eyes hit the road. Or right. Don't hit the road. And you just like mow down a child. Right. 
because you have a, a problem with acknowledging that you don't need to have a big old honking hood. Right, right. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that whenever we're walking around with caches now, I'm I'm actively, like I think yesterday when we walked to the bus, I actively was, there was a, a truck yeah. that was on in its driveway and the driver was getting ready to back up and mm-hmm. I had Cassius, you know, we stopped yep, hang a, out. We'll a good wait. yard away and I just pointed out to him what brake lights were and why you never go behind a vehicle that's on yep. because if it's backing up, it can't see you. That's right. You know? Yeah. And the other thing I, I, that I think is interesting is like, I don't, I'm not even really blaming the people who buy these trucks necessarily no. because you have sometimes, like, like you said, maybe you work at a construction site, you got to buy a truck, you need a truck that has certain tow, towing capacity or whatever. The truck manufacturers and the people who allow these trucks to go to market from a regulatory body standpoint should be addressing this. Right. They should be the ones putting in rules that say you have to have a certain amount of visibility. You have to have a certain amount of ability to stop at a a certain distance, right? And if you don't meet those standards, you can't put the vehicle out into the the market. Um, But it seems like we're not doing that anymore. (laughs) It's, It's like, it's strange. I, yeah, I mean, I think that it's, it, what it feels like is that we have laws in place that hold regulate and regulations in place that hold companies responsible for protecting the people in the vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, because, so, you know, there was um, an example that was given by a professor in one of these articles that was, that I was reading um, who it's a, he says that one of his favorite things is to have a presentation where there's a video and it has a car from 1959 going, you know, crashing into a car from 2009. And basically if you are in the car from 1959, like you, you will not survive. Whereas right. if you're in the car from 2009, you would probably have like a broken leg. Right. You yeah. know? And it's, it kind of goes both ways. It's like, yeah, the cars back then were not safe, but like the cars today are extra destructive yeah. <laughs> to anyone around them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, have you ever been in a car accident of any real magnitude? Mm, no, okay. not really. Thankfully. Yeah. I mean, knock on wood. Knock on wood. Yeah. Um, I was in a minor, kind of minor accident once yeah. where I was on the highway and this person was driving aggressively and speeding, but somehow it was my fault. Hmm. But my car was untouched. Okay. So. Your fault as as uh, by the police and the insurance companies or just? Uh, yeah, okay. I think so. Or I don't know. Yeah. I, anyways, it was nobody's fault. <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, thanks. Royal Tenenbaum. Yeah. Th- thanks, Royal. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I mean, uh, I don't know. The guy tried to say that it was my, he was an older gentleman. He tried to say that it was my fault and I don't know. He tried to play Perry Mason and like mm. take me to like court or whatever. And the judge was like, no, <laughs> I do. I do appreciate how this guy is a complete jerk, but you're like this older gentleman, <laughs> like you definitely uh, live and grew up in the South. <laughs> right. Oh no. Everybody that is of a certain age is an older gentleman. Yeah. Um, that's just, that's yeah. just respect. Yeah. Also, he tried to sue me. <laughs> well, you know, um, just in case he's a listener to this podcast, <laughs> uh, we'll call him a gentleman. Don't I? I don't know that this person is still alive. This sure. was a while ago. Sure. Well, and driving like that, probably not. No. Um, yeah, I was in a car accident uh, once. My mom was driving us home from my grandmother's house, mm. um, and we were uh, in just 
going along 35, 45 miles an hour. And some lady was coming the other direction. And I don't know if she was trying to turn in like to the Bojangles that we were driving past or if she just like was like reaching back to talk to her kids or something and like drifted. Mm -hmm. But she hit us head on. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah, she hit us uh, on the driver's side. Um, and like I was reaching down to change the CD in the CD player mm -hmm. in our Mitsubishi Galant. And uh, I just remember hearing my mom say, like in slow motion, like literally, I just heard, oh my God. And then I just heard like, boom. Mm -hmm. And the airbag exploded and just like smacked me right in the face. And all I remember next was just like, feeling like I was like in a cloud because everything was like smoky and uh, like there was a big white thing in front of me, mm -hmm. uh, which was the the airbag that after it deflated. And my mom was like, Forrest, get out of the car, sweetie, get out of the car. And I was like, okay, and uh, I think I can do that. And like, she thought the car was on fire because of the smoke from the airbags, mm -hmm. but it was not. Uh, and so we got out and walked over to the little grassy area and just waited for my grandmother to come pick us up and... The people at Bojangles were lovely, <laughs> offered us free food. Um, quite wonderful. But yeah, it was it was an intense experience. And then um, the, the, the two things I remember the, uh, next were the next day I was supposed to go to our school field trip to the zoo. Mm. And uh, I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm fine after this accident. I just want to go home and go to sleep so I can get my rest in before I go to the zoo. Oh, no. Uh, and my mom at like nine o'clock at night was like, maybe we should go to the hospital and get checked out. And I was like, I don't I don't want to do that. <laughs> uh, but we went and like, she, I think what happened was she had hit her leg on the dat of the console. Oh, okay. And over time, it started to feel a little weird. And mm -hmm. she was like, if I'm feeling weird, maybe something's happened with force. Like he doesn't know. And so we should just get him checked out concussion. Like anything could, could show. Yeah. Um, and I, I was fine. They checked me out and it was okay. And I think my mom, uh, did definitely have some like maybe nerve damage in her leg, mm -hmm. um, for on her shin. But, uh, I still went home, went to sleep at like one o'clock in the morning that night and then woke up for at 6am to go to the, um, sixth grade field trip to the zoo. But what they don't really tell you about airbags is that those things are abrasive. It ripped the skin off of my face yeah. where, where it hit me. So forehead, nose, and, and lower chin were just like open wounds. <laughs> uh, and there's a, a part in the zoo. So first of all, I walked in and everybody was like, what happened to your face? And I was like, oh, it was a car accident yesterday. And they're like, what? <laughs> uh, and then there's a part in the zoo where it's like the desert environment. Mm -hmm. And it's like 102 degrees in there or whatever uh, to keep the animals right. habitat, whatever. I walk in. And my face just starts like burning hot. I was like, nope, not doing that. Not going to go in there. Yeah, that no, awful. that sounds like that would be yeah, so, uncomfortable. Yeah. So uh, I don't recommend getting into car accidents, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, speaking of uncomfortable environments. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a terrible segue. Uh, one of the other reasons that, it, so in addition to vehicles, one of the other reasons that it's it's so bad on the roads is because we also have just poor infrastructure. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So 43% of uh, our 4.2 million miles of road are in poor or mediocre condition. 42%. No, yeah. 43%. 43%. And and by the way, you know what causes roads to degrade faster? Heavier vehicles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
And then, and then this is all of this is not even talking about the actual drivers on the road. So yes, vehicles are more dangerous to people around them. Yes, roadways are less safe, but also drivers have just lost their ever loving minds. So in a, in a, in a wide variety of ways, right? So it's impaired driving is up, um, the one in every 10 arrests right now is linked to um, a suspected DUI. Wait a second. One of every 10 arrests in the whole country for any purpose? Yeah. Whoa. Okay. That's a wild statistic. Okay. Yeah. Um, speeding is also up. So according to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, um, in 2020 and 2021, a Quarter of all fatal wrecks in the United States involve vehicles traveling above the posted speed limit. Mm-hmm. And I'm not I'm not about to judge on that one because uh, I want to go fast. <laughs> you and you and most Americans, yeah. man. There and and I think that the, the thing that they were talking about is that there's just been this like natural or this cultural shift that that has basically um, allowed for speeding. Um, right. And it's just one of those things. And but but here's the other thing is you also just have cars. And I think that with electric vehicles, this is especially one of those things where you have cars where all of a sudden you're just going very fast yeah, and you don't yeah. hear it. Right. And you don't realize it. And you're just like, oh, I am, I need to slow down this. I did not mean to, to do that. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think when we bought our, our car, um, I was driving home and was, uh, I was in a 45 and I was going to pass a trailer that was pulling a horse that was in front of me. And it was going like 40 in a 45. And so I waited until the light or the lane changed, you know, to, to dotted yellow. And I zoomed, I put it in sport mode and zoomed out and around the, um, the trailer. And by the time I realized it, I was going a hundred miles an hour mm-hmm. in a 45. And I was just like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I did not intend to do that. It right. was not, that was not a plan. No. Yeah. No, no. It just, it was just, the acceleration was intense. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so, but what you also now have is this sudden increase in young people driving very quickly hmm. because because it's very easy to get pretty fast cars yeah. for a relative like relative to other cars and relative inexpensive amount. Um, so in in 2012, 4,283 drivers between 15 and 20 were involved in fatal crashes. And in 2021, um, it was 5,565. So it's increased by like, you know, a quarter. Yeah. And teenagers are also just more likely to be speeding. So of all driver age brackets, uh, young men are the most likely to be traveling uh, above the posted limit um, at, the time, to no one. at yeah. the time of a fatal crash. And then you also have states like California, Texas, and Florida that have significant increases in uh, in like drag racing. Yeah. So, uh, fellas, we we have a running theme going through our podcasts a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, masculinity is a curse sometimes. Uh, just look, just be healthy with it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Don't uh, don't feel like you gotta race somebody. This is not American Graffiti. This is not uh, Fast and the Furious. Just calm it down. Survive. Make it home to the people who care about you. Yeah. Don't don't have road rage, which is also another significant factor. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. Also, uh, I, I shall not be throwing any stones. <laughs> <laughs> now, see, all the stuff that you just mentioned about yeah. other people driving like jerks. Yeah. 
is causes me rage. Now I don't, I've cer- I certainly don't like act on it in terms of like, mm-hmm. I don't get out of my car and yell at people. That would, my inclination when somebody is driving insane near me is to just go very slowly so that they just go past they me. go away. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's yeah. But 56% of crashes, uh, that result in a fatality are because of uh, road rage pay- plays some kind of uh, role. How do they know that? This is um, according to AAA. Mm. And like surveys. They, yeah, I wonder how they're surveying that. But that, that's an interesting number. Uh, yeah. But is what's interesting also is that this does not account for uh, tens of thousands of people who are injured or critically um who are injured um, often critically by aggressive drivers. So this is only fatalities, right? This isn't counting Uh, for people who are just injured. It's also not accounting for the 550 people who are shot annually um, (laughs) during road rage incidents. Okay. So this is just like because of the crash, not because like somebody got out of their car and was like, okay, time to kill you. Right, exactly. This is just saying like of the road rage incidences, right? um, That have resulted in a fatality. Well. That's bad. Right. Um, and and so there's this, it's interesting, there's there's this like uptick that people have been saying has been happening since the pandemic. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that what they were trying to figure out in this article is was the, what, what has happened since 2020? And, you know, they said that there are a lot of people who are just penned up in their houses. Right. And so they would go out onto the roads, but they're also stressed out. So yeah. like the only way they could get out of their house was to go drive right. and let off steam. And so they're acting fucking Wild. insane. Yeah, yeah. I also think like part of it is for the pandemic, a lot of people were in their homes and not going anywhere. So when people did go out of their homes, there was less traffic. Mm-hmm. And so you conceivably could drive faster and whatever. So there's been a reduction in law enforcement um, agencies uh, enforcing traffic laws. Right. Um, That, that, that bears out in every major city's data. Like almost every uh, city has open and available data for police arrests online. And you can, I've done this for four or five different cities. Now just go look at the arrest data from like 2018 until 2023 and you'll see specifically focused on traffic related incidents, just a, it drops off a cliff with the pandemic in 2020. Right. It's yeah, actually nobody was going anywhere. a little more inclined uh, to say that it aligns with George Floyd than it does with anything else. But that's mm. a, that's a little speculative with the, with my opinions, but you know, it's, it's in that time frame. It's in the 2020 era right. when it happened. Right. So, so yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of, Speculation. I don't think that there's any real way to know yeah. exactly what has gone on with people since 2020. Um, but there have been studies, there have been papers. There was the University of Australia that had a paper um, that was titled Self-Reported Changes in Aggressive Driving Within the Past Five Years and During COVID-19. Um, and they found that nearly 80% of respondents to the survey reported an uptick in shouting, cursing, or making rude gestures. Hmm. Um, and nearly 35% of the people that were in the survey um, ha- said that they reported a, there was a surge in incidents where one driver attempted to cause actual damage to another vehicle. Huh. Yeah, that's so, wild. So I- it doesn't really explain why, but it does say that there has been at least an uptick in what people are self-reporting. Yeah. It's funny, every once in a while I'll have somebody like get mad at me or like honk at me or whatever when I'm driving the minivan. But I'm like, 
I feel like if you're driving a minivan, everyone should just chill out. Like, I'm not supposed to be going anywhere quickly. I have two screaming children I in the back. So I have to give snacks to two people from like holding behind my back. Like, what are you talking about? Right. And I, I mean, like, that's kind of it. It's like, hopefully, like, you have a minivan and it gives you a little bit of cover because it's like, there are children here. What the, f- like, what is yeah. your problem? Why yeah. would you want me to go faster? Yeah. Um, it does, it does, that's not the case. You also get people just like tailgating you in for no school reason. zones, yeah. you know? And it's like, come on, man. Like literally children could be walking here. Yeah. Yeah. People, uh, uh, I think as, as the data would <laughs> indicate, yeah. uh, people are just bug nuts. I don't know what they're doing. Drinking guzzoline. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well maybe they did take away something from this great Australian film. Uh, I'll just wrap up how it was received. Yeah. Um, so first of all, uh, a little bit about budget. Uh, the numbers are fuzzy, but it <laughs> apparently costs somewhere between $100 million and $150 million US. Sure. Uh, it ended up making $375 million worldwide. Okay. Uh, however, uh, it's they said because it was of the expensive price tag for making the film and also the advertising budget, it ended up losing $40 million. I think that is bullshit. I think that is some Hollywood accounting. I yeah. think that the movie made them money uh, because you know what they're doing this year? They're releasing Furiosa, yeah. which is the prequel uh, film starring Anya Taylor-Joy. Same same director? Said, yep. George Miller directing. So, you know, I, I, don't, uh, I don't believe Warner Brothers on that accounting <laughs> front. No. Um, well, I mean, the numbers don't even add up. To what you had just said. That's correct. But also, like, we don't know what they spent on marketing. That's not something that's ever published. And so, anyway. The the point is, I think it made money. It also uh, got some Academy Award nominations. So, it was uh, nominated for 10 Academy Awards. Uh, it was the second highest number of nominations in the 2016 Oscars. Only behind The Revenant. I don't know if you remember The Revenant. Bear. Leonardo appears. It's not a bear. Yep. Um, and apparently Tom Hardy appears in both of the movies. So yeah. good for him. Um, the Revenant only won three of its nominations, uh, whereas Fury Road won six. Fury Road won for uh, Best Achievement in Film Editing, Best Achievement in Costume Design, mm-hmm. Best Achievement in Makeup and Hairstyling, Best Achievement in Sound Mixing, Best Achievement in Sound Editing, and Best Achievement in Production Design. So they're all below the line technical awards. They're all stuff. technical awards. But the movie also was phenomenal on the below the line stuff. Like, like these people like busted their asses right. for so long to make this movie look so incredible that, yeah, it should have won all that. It also should have won Best Picture, but... <laughs> was The Revenant the winner of Best Picture that year? Well, well they uh, got Best Actor, because that's how they got Leo DiCaprio, got his... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. His, that his was Oscar. more of like a lifetime achievement thing, but yeah. Yeah. Was Furiosa nominated? I mean, not Furiosa, but you know. Uh, no. Uh, so there Charlie's were no... Throne. There were no uh, acting awards, uh, no acting nominations for Oof, the Academy Awards for this what film. What a snub. Yeah, real bummer. Um, she's so good in this so like uh, i was i was incorrect i believe the uh, best picture went to spotlight which is also an amazing film i love spotlight yeah yeah. but not come on (laughs) yeah but so so i mean she is fantastic in this obviously 
Um, the character itself is so good, but she is also, uh, I mean, Charlize Theron is just one of my favorite actors, I think, um, in Hollywood, just such versatility, such a, an interesting person, I think. Um, and also just seems like a, a, a good person, Yeah, but is so good in in the things that she does and you like for like you wouldn't expect her to necessarily have to because she's so gorgeous and she like she was a model sure you know um so it's just it's it's amazing how she has just built this career for herself we covered her in tully she was that's right we, we did um no she's fantastic tom hardy i never know what that man is saying it does not matter what apparently what role he's in. I haven't seen The Revenant. Doesn't matter because I'm yeah. not going to know what he's saying. Well, he only had 52 lines in this movie, yeah. not, not counting grunts, and mm. so you didn't have to listen for very long. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is there. You mentioned there was some consternation. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I asked you. I was like, yeah. I think I remember when we were watching. I was like, I think I remember that they did not get along. Like she's a professional, and he was a schlub. So is in my memory. That's what I, I there, there are a couple things. Yeah. He, he refused or not refused, but just didn't show up to set on time. Mm-hmm. Most any days. Um, so just imagine you're in the, the middle of Namibia in this like desert, just dusty, you know, uh, incredibly hot area with no shade. And you're inside this giant metal war rig and you're just sitting for three hours just mm-hmm. waiting on this guy to show up. And yeah, they're, they're like, she just, Charlie Stern just would not, de- like, couldn't do it. Just like, just hated, hated working with him. Mm-hmm. I think at some point they came to a confrontation and things may be improved after that. Uh, but, but rough times. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, I think also George Miller had uh, a problem working with him. Um, at, in when the film debuted at Cannes in 2015, um, Hardy like apologized for his behavior on set. He was like, and and I don't necessarily believe the apology, but he was like, you know, it was hard to envision what was going on. It was hard to, to see what was going on in your head because of what we were doing. Maybe if you um, got out of your trailer a little uh-huh. bit earlier, you could see it. Well, and and uh, he was like, you know, I don't, uh, you know, it, was, it just was so taxing and so. Uh, asking so much of like us as actors and like whatever, blah, blah, um, that, that I was just, uh, you know, I, I, I treated it poorly and I, I should have been better or whatever. I don't know. Uh, my eyes are just rolling all the way to the back of my head. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things like you, you want a job, then go do the job. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I guess like for me, it's, he's still doing things. He's still making movies. People haven't like yeah, blacklisted yeah. him or anything like that. Right. right. Uh, blackballed him. He is, because he is a white man who has been involved in some prestige stuff. Yeah. And if a woman acted like that on set, can you imagine, do you think she would have a career? Talk talk to Monique. Like Like, it just, if, if, if a woman just refused to show up to set on time, like imagine she would just be replaced. Yeah. Just, it would just, that, that would be the end of that career. So it's just, it, it's, it's very hard for me to like, to, to hear somebody say, oh, it was just so taxing on me. It's like, well, guess what, buddy? It was taxing on literally every I other mean, the actor. Entire crew, the entire crew was waiting for you 
Yeah. Every single yeah. person it was taxing on. That's that's what you show up for. And so if you say that you are somehow more special than all of these other people who are busting their asses, like yeah. I don't have a lot of sympathy for that. Yeah. So as we have learned from this podcast, don't be a jerk on set. Don't be a jerk <laughs> on the road. Just be respectful, man. Just be respectful of other people and yeah. live a good life and be happy and make $375 million at the box office. <laughs> uh, no, so I, yeah, I think we we can wrap it up uh, unless there's anything else no. you had from the news story. I think this movie is incredible. Um, it, is, it is a miracle that this thing exists. Um, and it was Rotten Tomatoes' best scoring film of 2015 with okay. 97% critics' uh, positive review. All right. I, I should have looked up like what the negative ones were. Like who, who are the fuddy duddies who just like out there like sticking them, sticking their butt. Like. My, um, so, you know, Teresa, mm-hmm. my friend Teresa, um, she hated the movie. Well, yeah. So the audience score is lower than the critic score. It's yeah. like 86%. Yeah. She, I think she just got frustrated by the, the story of it going all the way to one place and then just turning back and driving yeah. all the way to the other. She's like, what was the fucking point? Well, so the, um, the, it was described in the behind the scenes thing mm-hmm. as a chase and a race. Mm-hmm. It was a chase trying to catch Furiosa to the green place. Yeah. When it turns out that doesn't exist, it's a race back to the Citadel because they're going to steal all the water or whatever. So, right, right. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, five out of five stars. Perfect movie. <laughs> all right. Um, I mean, I, I haven't thought about my star rating. It's probably up there. Yeah. Uh, but it's a fantastic movie. I, in, Enjoyed it very much this past time. Enjoyed it very much the first time. Yep. Highly recommend. Um, for most people, there are going to just be some people who don't get it. Yeah, and that's fine. And there are going to just be some people like for whom this is not intended, and that's also fine. That's correct. Um, and uh, but but I think that if people like action movies and are okay with ambiguity, uh, then this is a great film. I don't think there's a lot of ambiguity. I think they are chasing and racing. <laughs> I think it's if people a, are okay with ambiguity because maybe they have missed some important stuff. Oh, oh, oh! I, yeah, it goes very fast. It, go, it goes very quickly if you're okay missing stuff and just enjoying the the ride. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. I have to go to the bathroom. So let's go. Uh, let's say. Uh, well, we're remember, not going with you. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. You can find us on Instagram and on threads. We are uh, at the Crosscut Pod. Yay. So thanks, everyone. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye.